Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you. We read God's Word this morning as it is found in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Before we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 47, where the Catechism explains the first petition, Hallowed be thy name. We read the history, inspired history, is recorded here in Numbers chapter 20, the first 13 verses, 1 through 13. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us in unto this evil place? It is no place of seed, or of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, 
must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 47. The word sanctify, which we read in Numbers 20, is the same word as hallow, which we find in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, on the basis of God's word. We have the Heidelberg Catechism and its instruction on the Lord's Prayer, which is the first petition it asks and answers, Hallowed be thy name, that is. Grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that Thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider that first petition explained by the Heidelberg Catechism, Hallowed be thy name, we consider along with that first petition a contrast in Numbers 20. For there we find in Numbers 20 those who did not sanctify or hallow God's name. Now the word for hallow, as I said, is sanctify. And Moses and Aaron, God said in verse 12, believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. In other words, children, God told Moses and Aaron with him, you did not hallow my name. The occasion for this, we read, was the people's rebellion and had their rebellion again. This was toward the end of the history of the people of Israel in the wilderness. They had been there for almost 40 years at this point in Numbers 20. And Moses and Aaron had led the people of Israel from the very start from Egypt. The older generation had proven themselves sinful. That older generation had refused to enter into the promised land, and so God had ensured that all those 20 years old and upward perished in the wilderness. 
that generation was almost gone. And a new generation had arisen here in Numbers 20. And what we find and what Moses and Aaron find is that this generation was no better than the one before. They did the same thing in their murmuring, in their striving with Moses and with God. Would God, they said, that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Might as well have died with the rest. You can imagine the great frustration of Moses and Aaron. And they saw that the people had not learned their lesson. They had not learned from the negative example of their fathers and their brethren. And they came before the Lord to inquire what to do with this rebellious lot who should have died with their brethren as they had said. And the Lord spoke to them, Go to the rock and speak to it. And I will give, and it shall give His water. In other words, I will show my mercy to a sinful people. And so Moses and Aaron obeyed. They went to the rock with the rod. And then they did not obey to sanctify the Lord before the people. The Catechism says, that we may order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions. Notice those three things. Thoughts, words, and actions. That our thoughts, words, and actions may be for the hallowing or sanctifying of God's name. And what we find here is the opposite. The thoughts of Aaron and Moses were frustrated, angry, wrathful. Very different from God's thoughts toward His people. And then they rose up before the people and their words were not for the sanctifying of God's name. Ye rebels, must we fetch water? And the implied answer is no. We will not. We should not. You don't deserve it. And then his actions, he took up that rod and he struck that rock twice as though he were striking that, those people in his wrath. He did not order and direct his thoughts, words, and actions for the sanctifying or hallowing of God's name. And children realize this was not mere disobedience. It was disobedience. He hit the rock rather than spoke to the rock as God told him. But the grievous sin was what God said, "Ye believe me not to sanctify or hallow me before the people. So serious was this, as you know, that Moses and Aaron were not allowed to enter into the land of Canaan. They had failed as pictures and types of Jesus Christ. And yet, you know the grace of God. You know the grace of God in that the land of Canaan was only a picture of the heavenly Canaan. And when Moses and Aaron died, they went to that heavenly Canaan as to their souls. God was merciful to them in spite of their great sin. For God looked upon Moses and Aaron and Jesus Christ as He does us. 
And he saw them as those who had never failed in the hallowing of God's name in Jesus Christ, the one who would always glorify the name of God. And so for Moses and Aaron and for us, his people too, we have forgiveness. There is forgiveness and entrance into the heavenly Canaan. We know that gospel. And knowing that gospel, God's people with thankful hearts desire better to hallow God's name. And so they pray. You pray. Help us to hallow, to sanctify God's name. We're not good at it. Help us. Let us learn how to pray that petition. The theme prayer for the sanctifying of God's name. First, in the heart. Second, before others, in our words and actions. And then finally, a matter for prayer. To hallow God's name or sanctify God's name is the same thing, children, as glorifying the name of God. That's the simple meaning. You know it well. The well-known goal of the Reformed believer is what the Westminster Shorter Catechism describes. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Hallow God's name. That is, glorify God's name. That is our calling. And we pray, help me to do that, O Lord, in this first petition. That's the simple meaning. But in order to ensure that this idea of glorifying the name of God or hallowing the name of God is it's not a meaningless cliche, something that we just say but don't really think about. We need to delve into the profound meaning of this first petition. To understand the hallowing of God's name, we must first of all understand what God's name is. What God's name is. And the definition of God's name is God Himself as He reveals Himself in creation and in His Word. God's name is God Himself as He is revealed in the creation and in His Word. In the creation and in, in the Bible, we see God's wonderful works. His works. The Catechism refers to that with that propositional phrase, in all thy works, where to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works. And God's works, first of all, are revealed in the creation. He made all things in six literal days about 6,000 years ago. And He has preserved this creation and even developed this creation in such a way that we see God displayed in that creation. It is, the, the Belgian Confession says in Article, Article 2, the creation is like an elegant book. Distinguished from the Scriptures, the creation all around 
The entire universe is like an elegant book wherein all the creatures, great and small, are as characters or letters leading us to contemplate the invisible God. A beautiful way to describe God's name in the creation. So when you look at the leaves as they change color in this fall season, you should think, children, how every leaf, as it were, spells out the name of God. As you gaze at the heavens above, the firmament and the shapes of the clouds and the beautiful sky at the time of a sunset in this season, you should see, as it were, printed, G-L-O-R-Y. The glory of God. As you look at the busy squirrels and the birds flying above and landing on your bird feeder, as you see the bright full moon in the sky, the arrangement of all the stars which He knows by name, as you see Him govern in an orderly manner every part of creation and then bring His hurricanes to destroy so much, you should think. The name of God. See His name everywhere. You should notice it. When your teachers at school, children, teach you in the classroom about that creation in math and in science and in language and in history, all about this creation, you should not think, I don't really want to hear this. Why do I need to learn this? But rather, they're talking about the name of God, especially when they're relating the subject to the Scriptures and how God is revealed in all these subjects. God's name is shown to us. To hallow God's name is to notice that. And to read this most elegant book for His praise and honor. It is to exclaim with the psalmist in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name. Where? In all the earth. God's name is in the creation, but it is also in His Word, especially in His Word. God's name, as I said, is God Himself as He reveals Himself in creation and in the written Word. So there's another book. The Belgian Confession speaks of the creation as the most elegant book, but distinguished from that is the Bible, the Scriptures, and printed on the pages of the Bible is the name of God. Not just the proper names like Jehovah and Father and Lord, but you find all the works of God as the Catechism refers to them. All the works of God that reveal His power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth. One of the works of God that we read about here in Numbers chapter 20 is the wonderful work of God to, toward His sinful people. That even while they murmured against Him and they said that they should die and they ought to have died, been burned in hell eternally as well. Yet God in His mercy provides for them water, a miraculous work out of a rock so that they could drink it and the people by faith could see even Christ, the rock that provides living water. When the Old Testament, you see, 
The Scriptures in the Old Testament point ahead to Jesus Christ, that work of God. We see the name of God. And when the New Testament points us back to Jesus Christ and His work of living a perfect life and suffering and dying on the cross, such as the revelation of God's name all over the Bible, all over Scriptures, the name of God. God Himself as He reveals Himself in creation. Especially as He reveals Himself in the written Word of Jesus Christ. One characteristic of God's name that must be emphasized today because the text in Numbers 20 does is that God is merciful. Notice that the catechism lists different attributes of God which can be called His names as well, revealed in the works. We find these attributes. We see God's power, both in creation and in His Word. We see God's wisdom. We see God's goodness. We see God's justice. We see God's mercy and truth. Those are the attributes listed. And we can say that all the attributes are summed up with the word holy. God is holy. That's an attribute that encompasses all the attributes. But now, notice that amidst power, wisdom, goodness, justice, and truth, there is this word, mercy. Don't forget mercy. Never forget mercy. God is the God of holiness. God is the God of justice and righteousness and truth. But He is also at the same time, without any contradiction, the God of mercy. Psalm 136 helps us there. <coughs> Repeat it again and again. As you know, children, in Psalm 136 is His name. For His mercy endureth forever. For His mercy endureth forever. For His mercy, don't forget that, His mercy endureth forever. Thus His name. Hallowed, we say, be that name. Sanctify the Lord's name. What does that mean? To sanctify it. To sanctify God. As He is revealed in the creation and in His Word. Negatively, in this context, the word hallow or sanctify cannot mean this. It cannot mean that we must somehow make God holy or make God's name holy because God and His name, He is already holy. There's no improvement upon His holiness. So the word sanctify or hallow cannot mean that, to make holy. But rather it must mean this, as the word is used in the Bible, Sanctify or hallow means to set apart. And so, as we see God revealed in the creation, and as we see God revealed in His Word, we are to set Him apart as special in our hearts and lives. To illustrate, think of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was set apart it was an object 
that was a picture of God Himself, His very presence. And the people of Israel sanctified or hallowed that Ark of the Covenant. That doesn't mean that they went and tried to make it more beautiful. They didn't go and try to work inside of it to make it somehow holy. No. But they set that Ark apart. They brought that Ark with the Levites that God had called them to have. And those Levites brought it in. In to the temple or tabernacle and into the most holy place where the high priest alone was allowed to go once a year. And everything in that tabernacle or temple was devoted to God as represented by that Ark of the Covenant that is to sanctify or hallow, to set apart as holy And you and I, as individuals, we are called the temples of the Holy Spirit. And as a church, we're called the house of God. So as individuals and as a church, we are to set God apart in our hearts and in this church as special, as holy. And nothing that we do can be for something else other than the worship and devotion and adoration of this God set apart above all things. That we may so order and direct our whole lives, thoughts, words, and actions. Order and direct there in the, the literal German is point there, point there. That our whole life, thoughts, words, and actions may point there, point to God, reflect God. His power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth. That begins in the heart. Set them apart in your heart. The catechism says, Hallowed be thy name means this. Grant us first. First, beloved, don't jump to words and actions. But first, Rightly to know Thee. Heart knowledge. That's the first step in hallowing or sanctifying God's name. This knowledge which the catechism refers to is the knowledge of faith. You remember in Lord's Day 7, faith is defined as a certain knowledge and an assured confidence. This is the knowledge of faith. The Catechism says it starts here. The Holy Spirit works in us this knowledge of faith. And joined to this knowledge is, yes, an intellectual understanding of the truth. An intellectual understanding of the doctrines of the Bible. So the Catechism says not just knowledge, but rightly, accurately, correctly even to know Thee, or to know God. The hallowed God's name includes this, that we, as we look at the creation, as we study His Word especially, we are to have a right knowledge of the doctrines of His Word. If the Bible says that God is the God of unconditional election, then we must know God as that God of unconditional election. 
When the Bible says that God is the God who is sovereign, even, even over sin, we might not fully understand that and mesh it perfectly with man's responsibility, and yet we must say God is the God sovereign over all things, even over sin. When the Bible says that God is the God of particular grace, not a God of grace to every single person in the whole wide world, then we, even if it might hurt people's feelings, we know God is the God of particular grace and all the rest of the doctrines of the Bible. Know Him rightly. And so I exhort you, beloved, if you seek to, if you truly desire the hallowing of God's name, first you must know God. Study His Word. Read Scripture. Read good Reformed literature. In our day and age, that is declining. It is dwindling. The devil would have us so busy with everything else. Read. Study, never tire of refreshing your memory on the right knowledge of God. But the knowledge of God which a catechism speaks of is not merely an intellectual kind. As I said, it's the knowledge of faith. This knowledge of faith is knowledge that is, children, not just here, in the brain, though we process knowledge with this brain, it is that which sinks down into the soul. There's the, there's the mind of Christ within the soul which God has given us so that we can know Him with true knowledge. There's not only knowing correct facts, about God. But it's knowing God. You hear the difference? Knowing about God and knowing God. It is a personal knowledge so that the person with this knowledge does not just see creation and read Scripture and knows things about God gathers information there, but he hears God speak to him. This is who I am. And I am yours. In Jesus Christ. It's the knowledge of faith. Notice the negative briefly for now. Numbers 20 verse 12. Why did Moses not sanctify God before the people? God said, Ye believed me not. Starts there. The knowledge of faith. And hearing that, you and I should recognize how small a beginning we have. In this true knowledge of faith. Yes, beloved, you believe. You have faith. You do. But you and I are like Moses, aren't we? We forget God through our lives. Our thoughts are not on Him. 
We don't think of Him when we notice the things in creation as we should. We don't think of Him carefully as we should when we read the Word. We even neglect that Word. We have, yes, beloved, we have in so many ways an accurate knowledge as Protestant Reformed people of the doctrines found here in the Word and the creeds and the confessions. But you recognize, and God has taught us in the last years, we don't have it all. And even if we have so much accurate knowledge, how much of it is really a spiritual knowledge of faith? Beloved, acknowledge weakness before, the, before your God today. When you hear about the hallowing of God's name, you must say in your heart, I, I don't know it all. My faith is not so strong. I believe, but help my so much of my unbelief. You see how this is necessary? Because beloved, know-it-alls, know-it-alls, those who think they know it all already, won't pray this. You don't see a need then to pray, hallowed be thy name, and say first that I rightly know thee. To humbly bow before your God and to plead with Him in this first petition, help me rightly to know thee. You must see that you don't of yourself. That you're weak of yourself. And then we cry out in mercy. Hallowed be thy name. That is, help me first rightly to know thee. And then secondly, the Catechism speaks of a second step in this hallowing of God's name, though it doesn't say this explicitly, I describe it this way. A filial fear. Filial fear. First is a knowledge of faith. And second is a filial fear. Children, I use that term, filial fear. And the word filial seems complicated, but it simply means a childlike fear. A childlike fear. And you're reminded that it's a childlike fear because at the very beginning of this prayer, we pray our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. That makes us children. We need a filial fear, a childlike fear. That language is borrowed from the canons, Head 1, Article 12, when it speaks of the fruit of election, it's first of all true faith, and then the second fruit of election listed there is a filial fear. Right knowledge, knowledge of faith, and then secondly, a filial fear. That's what we need, secondly, in the hallowing of God's name. The catechism means that when, it's, when it says, after the right knowledge, rightly to know God, to sanctify, glorify, and praise Thee. Those three words are describing this filial fear inside the heart. What is that filial fear? Well, to help us understand it, remember two negatives. There are two attitudes of the heart that are 
different than a filial fear. One is a flippant familiarity. You know what that is like. Often in contemporary Christianity today, there is a flippant familiarity. There are, there are songs that mix puppy love with the love for Jesus. There are prayers that are made that are careless in their language, as though it doesn't matter how we say it to God. There are sermons which are full of jokes and irreverence. A flippant familiarity. Not that in the heart. Not that in the heart. The other negative though, which is more prevalent perhaps in, among us, in, in, in despising that flippant familiarity and, and, and reacting against that, we might come to this other extreme which is called a slavish or a slavish fear. So that there is such a fear as a slave would have toward a cruel master. You don't dare to tell God what is on your mind. There's, there's this cold and formalistic language that binds the language of your prayers. And there's no intimacy and closeness to, with this God who is our Father and we His children. Not, beloved, this flippant familiarity and not this slavish fear, but rather a filial fear, which is a reverence. It's a wonderful mix of a reverence and a confidence that we thought about in the last Lord's Day when we considered the address of our Father in Heaven. A wonderful mix of awe and ease before God. As we meditate not only on His holy, holy, holy being, but also on His merciful, merciful, Merciful attitude. As we think about His high majesty, and yet also on His fatherly tenderness in Jesus Christ. You see how that stirs within us this filial fear. That's the second step and the hallowing of God's name. Only after God's name is sanctified in the heart with this knowledge of faith and with this filial fear, then there can be a sanctifying of God's name further, as the Catechism says, further also in our lives, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions. Thy name may be never blasphemed, but rather honored and praised in our account. You see how that filial fear, beloved, is not natural? And before we get to this sanctifying God before others, of the pause again, just as that Knowledge of faith is, is, is not natural to us. So this 
reverential awe of God doesn't stir within us naturally. We'd rather, and of ourselves we would, store the doctrines in the brain and then go on with our fast-paced life and spit out or regurgitate the doctrines and show others how they're wrong and how we're right. We would rather have this expertise on Reformed doctrine, which results more in a worshipful heart toward ourself or church or some great theologian than a worshipful, reverential heart of awe toward God. And so we pray recognizing that weakness. You can't, you won't pray if you don't recognize this as our weakness. We pray humbly. Oh, Father, sanctify Thy name. Give me what I don't have. A filial fear with that right knowledge. And then further, with words and actions. Our words and actions after our thoughts, the catechism lists, may be so that we never blaspheme God, either directly or indirectly. Our words must be spoken in truth and love or mercy. Ephesians 4.15 has been quoted repeatedly by me. I do it again. We must be speaking the truth in love. In love. Speak the truth, beloved. Don't be silent about it. Confess that truth, not only at confession of faith, but throughout your life, before confession of faith, young people, and after confession of faith, and even as you age, speak to your fellow members Talk about His wondrous works as revealed in the creation and in His Word. Yes, witness the Gospel to those in the church and those outside the church. Lord's Day 47 is the confessional basis for personal witnessing. Hallowing God's name means that we testify, we witness of God's holy name to others with our mouth, with our mouth. That we sanctify, 1 Peter 3.15, the Lord God in your heart, that verse, and then be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is within you with that meekness and fear that you're supposed to have before you speak. Take the Gospel that you know, the covenant of grace, the wondrous mercy of God, and speak it to others. Echo it in the hallways at school, on the field, in the court, in the locker room, at the workplace, in your homes, parents, to your children, young people to each other. Speak it. That is the sanctifying or hallowing of God's name. Don't speak against it. To blaspheme God's name is the opposite of sanctifying God's name. Broken vows, curses, 
and swearing. Lord's Day 36, there's no greater sin, more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. The opposite of hallowing it. But Numbers 20 shows us another negative way. We don't hallow God's name only when we speak with curses and swearing. But notice with rashness or with anger. That's Moses. That's the negative example here. He spoke truth, beloved. When he called them rebels, that was true. When he said, must we fetch you water out of the rock? There was truth in that. They didn't deserve water from the rock. But here was the problem. Moses stood as a representative of God, as the very type of Jesus Christ. And he was supposed to show God's name, not only in what he said, but how he said it. And God came to him and told him, you need to speak grace to my people. That doesn't mean Moses wasn't allowed to rebuke them. No, he had those times to rebuke them too. But don't forget mercy. That's what God was saying to Moses. Don't forget mercy. My mercy to a sinful people like you. My grace. Speak to the rock and give them water. And so when Moses spoke up and did the opposite of that, he was not only hiding God's mercy, he as a type of Jesus Christ was saying, no mercy to you. No mercy. God has given up on you just as I have given up on you. No mercy of Jesus Christ. And that all in the manner in which He spoke. Beloved people of God, whether you're an office bearer like Moses was, or a member of the church in the office of every believer, Your calling is to sanctify God with your words. Not only with what you say, but how you say it. And what must be communicated with our words is not only the law of God and the strict justice of God against sin. That too, yes. And never to the neglect of mercy. Especially, particularly, with the fellow Brothers and sisters and sinners in the church of Jesus Christ. Lest the rebuke of God comes to us as well. You believe me not, that is, you believe not my mercy. And therefore you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Husbands, how do you speak to your wives? Fathers, how do you speak to your children? How do you correct error in one another? What is your message? What is the message of this church and our witness to others in this world and to other believers in this world? You hear the application. Let it be the hallowing of God's name with words of truth. Not compromising that. But mercy as well. 
And then our actions. Our actions. You see the negative here in Numbers 20. Moses did not only speak words that hid God's mercy in Jesus Christ, but he, his actions did the same. He took that rod as we read and he struck the rock twice as though he were striking the people in his wrath. He took it out on the rock. And 1 Corinthians 10 shows us the significance. That rock was Christ. When he said with his words and actions, no mercy, he was saying no mediator, no water of life, no gospel of grace from the rock. When a minister stands in a pulpit or a member of the church stands beside an unbeliever and rages and strikes with his words and their actions are violent, God says, your actions have not sanctified me in the eyes of my people. when our actions are unholy. In the ungodly world, looks on at the church and sees abuse of the worst kind. or the biting and devouring of one another of the worst kind. Where both leaders and members would attack each other. That is not only to the wounding of each other and one another's name, though it is. But God would say to us, you believe me not, to sanctify me before the eyes of my people. And so we're humble. Humble to pray, you see. Because if we were not humble and we thought we did this well, we would not pray. But we're humble to pray, help me. Help us as individuals and as a church. Hallowed be thy name. Give this knowledge of faith, this filial fear, the right words, still the truth, never compromise. But with mercy in how we say it and the actions that come forth as we do. Prayer is an acknowledgement of weakness. Prayer includes a sincere desire to improve. And prayer includes this desire as the first desire. Jesus taught us to pray first. 
Every other petition and every other grace flows from this. After this, I mean. First, give me that single eye. Thy name to glorify. At all times, in adversity, when I'm tempted to murmur like the people of Israel and Moses, oh, help me to do otherwise. Sanctify thy name. In prosperity, when I'm tempted to build up myself and promote my name in the name of others on this earth. No, God's name. Help me glorify thy name alone to redirect, redirect every praise toward me to him, to him, his name. Help me. And it's with confidence we can pray it, knowing that he will hear and he will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask. He will. He will sanctify his name. He will hallow his name. He will do so in us and through us. But even this, to end. He will even do it without us. And in spite of us. Because He does not need us for the glory of His name. That comes out in verse 13 of Numbers 20. After Moses and Aaron had not sanctified God's name, and the people had not sanctified God's name. Verse 13. God provided water. And He was sanctified. In them. Nevertheless, that rock, as part of the creation, remember, that elegant book, brought forth water to show God his power, his mercy. And that rock, as a type of Jesus Christ, brought forth water to a sinful people to show God's mercy. You see, the hallowing of God's name, thankfully does not depend on you and me. He will do so in spite of us. And yet, the child of God, knowing His salvation and God's mercy, wants to. He wants to join the creation he wants to join the rock, Jesus Christ. He wants to join the angels in heaven. He wants to join the church. And in a small way, just a small way, hallow God's name. That is his greatest delight. And so he bows. And the church bows in humility. Give us by Holy Spirit, that we might, ha might hallow thy name. Amen. Let's pray. O God, sanctify us, and in sanctifying us more and more, give unto us the right knowledge, true faith, filial fear, and then further words and actions that show forth the honor of Thy name, Thy truth and mercy. That is our first petition. Make that petition first more and more in our hearts. Help us to pray. 
For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.